Hello and welcome to another episode of the Together Podcast, a podcast where two people get together and discuss Magic the Gathering. This is episode 105 with Sam King, where we'll be discussing in-game politics. Now, I kind of let Sam take the lead on this one. He had a lot of insightful information regarding politics and uh, even uh, referenced some older material that I would not have even thought to go back to. It was really interesting listening to him talk about uh, Sun Tzu and um, Machiavelli in reference to a game, but... uh, as weird as that might sound, there was a lot of valuable information in it, and at the end of the podcast, it all made a lot of sense. So, uh, you know what? I'm not going to take a lot of time on this intro, um, but you know what? Uh, let's just skip all that. Let's just let's just get started. It's not perfect, but neither am I. Um, so, uh, I think you're you perfect, can... Sam. You can. I'm just gonna ignore. You. <laughs> you can do any of those options, and. just made everything on everybody's boards artifacts by playing Micah and Glass and then I played Darksteel Forge Darksteel Forge which makes all artifacts I I control indestructible so everything on my side was indestructible and I knew David had Merciless Eviction in his hand which is a multi-moded board wipe that exiles how did you know that he had it because he was he, <laughs> just <laughs> when I, most of the time I just assume. Okay. He also, I was sitting next to him, and he's just—he always tends to hold his hand kind of like this when he's thinking, like he's looking at the board in a hole, and it was right there. And I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> okay. is, is that really politics, or is that just blatant cheating? It's just blatant cheating. I wasn't like—it's just there, right in front of me. I wasn't. I was like, oh crap, he has merciless eviction. <laughs> so, but so I know that. And, he, and I essentially just like look at him and I'm like, okay, I know that he has it. I'm going to, this is before I had played the artifact thing. Mm-hmm. The Darksteel Forge? So, no, the Micacent Lattice. Oh, okay. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to test David here. And I'm not, I know that he'll have to make a choice. Because once I play this thing that makes everything artifacts, he could literally send everybody back to the Stone Age with whatever they have in exile. Mm. And I was like, okay, let's test it. And, um, because if he doesn't, I win. He doesn't yeah. know that, but I, I know I win after that. Okay. And so um, he looks at me, and he's like, why'd you do that? You know what I want to do, right? And I was like, I'm pretty sure I know. And I think, he doesn't do it. I think David likes board wipes, because like, I think like the past like two times that I've played oh, with yeah, him. Oh, yeah, he loves board wipes. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, but he doesn't play the board wipe on his turn. And so it goes back around, and I get this infinite mana thing going on where I can just cast my general 
and he tries to flash in his little merciless eviction, mm-hmm. and I unwind it with a, I have a counter spell, so that goes out the window. Now none of his board wipes are going to touch any of my stuff because the rest of them, it's pretty much the only thing that exiles everything, like all artifacts at least. The rest of them are going to be destroy, and that doesn't touch my stuff. So I unwinded it and just went off and killed everybody with infinite damage. So he's now he's like, now I'm just going to do it every time. And I knew, like that's what he's how he's going to react to that. And now I know, because recently he's been in, inconsistent on whether or not he mm-hmm. wants to do that. And so uh, I knew I was going to either force him into that or he's going to try to have different answers. I, and I don't just play the table. I play the next game and the game after that. Like I, I test people to see how do they react to this and how do I need to adjust because of that. So that's what, in my mind, is politics. Like It's like, yes, manipulating people at the table in the current game, that's very important. Mm-hmm. But it also it doesn't just end after the game. And I don't try to manipulate wait, people wait, 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 out wait, of the game. What do you mean it doesn't end at, 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 after the game? Like... I try to say, okay, now I know this about this person, and I try to adjust uh, how okay. I want to play with that person. Okay. It doesn't affect, outside the game, it doesn't affect anybody else, okay. but how I choose to play the next game. Gotcha. You know I just I take learned knowledge, uh, apply it to the next thing. It's like tit for tat with Dave. If I do mess with him, he'll mess with me. Maybe I, he's not affecting me, but I want him to maybe do something. Uh, I'll be like, hey, remember when so-and-so destroyed this? Yeah, you should... Can you take care of that thing? I bet it, would, it really set him back or something. You know, Robert's harder to manipulate, really. He's he, he's pretty set on what he wants to do, and so is Dr. Thornhill. With them, I have to be more like, hey, don't do this, I'm not doing anything, and still Dr. Thornhill sees through it, and Robert's getting better at seeing through that, and so I'm going to have to adjust more. It all comes down to the philosophy of how you want to play the game. One of the general rules is if somebody else has an answer why would you spend your own yeah okay that makes sense where you are depending on where the threat is Mm -hmm. and where you are in relation to that affects how much how or when you need to answer something okay turn order goes uh clockwise and so uh and again the threat is to your right immediate right that makes it more important for you to answer that threat because if you don't and no one else does on the other table, around the rest of the table, and it gets back to them, that means you could have lost the game. So it's better for you to answer that threat than it is for just to hope somebody else does. Mm-hmm. But for the person who's across the table from you, it, it's better for them to wait to see if you have an answer. They might have an answer in their hand immediately, and they could answer it on their turn or your turn. But... They said, well, they might as well just say, well, let's see if Carlos has anything mm-hmm. or if player two has any. So, uh, that's not how it happens in our games, though. As well with, like, <laughs> me and Jared. Yeah. Like, we try to play where other people ha- answer other things for us. Okay. Yeah. Because, like, otherwise you're just giving everybody else an advantage mm-hmm. at that point. Just like they're giving you an advantage if they answer it. But it's all about reading where the threat is at the table and who ha- could possibly answer it. And it also depends on color of their decks as well, because certain colors don't answer very well gotcha. to certain threats. 
Makes so. sense. That's a hard balance too, I suppose, because you don't want people to know that you have a counter in your in your hand, no. and you def- definitely don't want to use it before, you know, it's, somebody else does because then spells, yeah, counter spells tend to be very. You have to know the right thing to counter, especially mm-hmm. in commander, because you only get one true counter spell, two blue, counter target spell. That's the only one you're gonna get. Yeah. Um, unless you somehow just have a, a crazy instant recursion, which is very rare. Yeah. Um, and I think that's something that I like about this the new format um, that we get kind of started playing, mm-hmm. because we all had to build new decks. Mm-hmm. And so we don't know what everybody has. Whereas whenever we play Commander, sometimes it's like we know we see the card, we know how that deck works, and it's like no, we're not gonna let that get started. We're talking about brawl, right? Yeah, we're talking about brawl, but I'm talking about yeah. Commander now, also. Well, right. No, and I'm so saying, like, the new brawl deck brings that freshness. Yeah, where we don't know what everybody has. Yes and no. Like the bar, the hard thing about that in brawl is that it's such a small selection that you know, okay, pretty much these are like you have a lot less to deal with. Like, there's a, there's, there's a smaller selection, but I think there's multiple combos from those to, cards that you can make. The weird thing is you have to get real creative with Brawl if you want to do something like combo. Because you have yeah. to really dig deep and be like, okay, what is in this standard environment? So, right. Yeah. One of the main things is like, uh, you know, I've been reading Sun Tzu, and I've been reading The uh, the Prince. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, like, one of the main things... Yeah, we, is, we had a we had a conversation about that before whenever we were, we were talking yeah. about doing this podcast. And mm-hmm. so I'm really interested to know, like, <laughs> where you were going to bring these in because when you started talking about them, they were really interesting. So, um, as a preface, we're not applying this to politics, real politics. We're not applying this to how people should live their lives. And especially, one of the main things I want to say about it is don't lose real life friendships over a game. Like, Remember, it's just a game. Exactly, it is just a game. That's the perfect time to just know your friends are worth more than a game, winning a game. Yeah. So, um, the art of war is one of the things that I like to start off with because it's less politics and it's more just a general like how to play, how to be strategic. And okay. politics has to deal with a lot of strategic thinking on how to affect the ward. One of the first things is, uh, Sun Tzu says, a wise general makes a point of forging on the enemy. One cartload of the enemy's provisions is equivalent to 20 of your own. Now, we already talked about this point, you just didn't really know about it. Because I said, you, if, your en- if your opponents have an answer, let them use their answer instead of using your own. Mm-hmm. Because that's twice the advantage for you that you now have an answer for something else. And they no longer have and, theirs anymore. And they have less of an answer. Yeah. So that's why you gain so much more advantage when someone else uses their removal as opposed to you using yours. Okay. So I kind of tried to sneak that in there and see, as now, a way to get towards what we're talking about. When you're talking about the counters and things like that, because I'm a new player, um, mm-hmm. you know, and we started, I think the last game... We really got into uh, a moment where priority took precedence. Okay. Um, priority is... Um, it's hard to explain in a way that makes sense for new people. <laughs> which is, do your best, Sam. Do I your best. Do my best. <laughs> and the best way to... I know how to explain it is by example. Okay. So let's say we're having a two-player game. It's just me and you. 
it's my turn. Uh, I haven't played any spells, and let's say I have a couple lands. And I want to play on my turn a Kodama's Reach, which is a green sorcery, and it allows you to go get land from your deck. Mm-hmm. Um, then you have some mana open. We've played for a couple turns, and you had some lands open, and you passed the turn. And so now you think, I don't want him to have that much mana. And so you tap and cast, you tap two blue, cast actual counterspell. Now what actually happened is that there is, I cast a spell. I would like to resolve the spell. And then uh, I pass priority, which means that I no longer will cast spells. And so that it can resolve. My spell that I've currently cast can resolve. And if you have something that can interact at instant speed, like an instant or an ability, you can now use that ability or cast that spell. And that's the, that's the only time when you would be able to do that as long as it's my turn. I will generally have priority. So there's a moment in between the playing of each spell yeah. where it goes around the table. It goes around the table. Okay. And so the, the same thing is true for four player. If I cast a spell, player uh, player number two gets a chance to respond, mm-hmm. and then player number uh, three gets a chance to respond, then player number four. And then if no one responds, we resolve the stack, which means that's where, when you cast a spell, that's where the spell goes. It goes on the stack. And then you resolve the stack as, as it is, placed essentially. Okay. So then, in that instance, um, it does fall to the player who's who's coming next to yes, counter that it first. Is also, turn order, and it will always resolve in turn order. Okay. Well, that 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 makes sense, and then that actually makes it interesting because it's not just a free for all where everybody says, "Oh, I want to respond," and I want to. Or or can you respond? And it's like, well, I'm holding something, and you know, I don't want. It's like you choose, and, and then the and then once you choose, you've lost your. Yeah, that's why generally the person over here says, "Do y'all have anything?" Mm-hmm. As opposed to the person when I say over here to the per- to the the next turn in the next turn order. Yeah. Um, that person will generally say, "Do y'all have anything?" And then. You never hear the person on the on the last of the turn order say, uh, "Do y'all have anything?" Because that uh, opportunity has already passed. Yeah. By the time they can do anything, the opportunity was passed for the other two players. Okay. And they can't respond at that point. Now, let's say someone were to actually respond, uh, like player number one responds to my spell, and then now because they responded priority shifts again to where this person has to re- respond or not uh, and then shifts again if they can again, and then over to me and now I can respond before that ability resolves ah okay so once priority is taken and used the impetus shifts right so then they place a counter and if you want to counter that you have to wait I until it comes to, back yeah, around it, to it you to get through the next two players and then I have a chance to respond nice okay and then it starts all over again again yeah, ah so that's the stack week. That's the stack. It's Z. Okay, thank and you very much. I understand now. The thing about the stack is first in, last out. Okay. Because uh, as a player, you can stack abilities how you choose or mm-hmm. spells. And say, uh, I had something that if it, it enters the battlefield, if a creature enters the battlefield, right? 
I would draw a card. But I also have something that says, if a creature enters the battlefield, scry one. Yeah. You can choose to enter uh, to stack those abilities where they resolve to where the scry happens first, then the card draw happens. Because they happen at the same time. They go on the stack at the same time. Okay. Now, why that's important is you would want to say, instead of first goes the scry, then the draw, you would say, I stack it like, I stack the draw first, then the scry, so that the scry will resolve first, and then the draw. So you had that option to yeah. to do that. Yeah, you have okay. that option to choose how your abilities stack. Okay, you may have lost them. me. I understand stack now. So we we've made progress. Yes. We'll come back to that. We'll yeah. we'll, we'll table it and we'll Definitely. come back to that later. <laughs> okay. So back to the more political side of things instead of the mechanical. Yep. Okay. Um. So uh, we talked. We already talked about uh, using other people's resources. The next thing I want to talk about is planning. Now, everybody knows how their deck, you plan for your deck to work, right? And you know, like for my deck, for the artifact deck, I want to get about a, out a bunch of value artifacts and then start sacking them and deal damage or gain card advantage or various things like that or ramp. And then I want to eventually get to the point where I can make a bunch of mana or an infinite amount of mana and just kill everybody at once. Okay, yeah. That's, you know, just Johnny Combo, that's me. That was the, the Joyra deck that I that I created. That's kind of how it worked, yeah. basically, was I, I had a bunch of artifacts that just gave me a crap ton of mana, and then I was able to play spell after spell after spell, and it got a little out of control, which was fun. That's was the fun. whole point of it. It's just to make it where you get out of control, where nobody can stop you. Mm -hmm. That's a combo kind of thing, or um, just generally good magic play is building up in a massive amount of value. Okay, so knowing how the deck works. Um, so, <clears throat> you should, like, everybody has that plan on how it works, but one of, another quote, it's not from Sun Tzu or uh, uh, Machiavelli from The Prince, it's actually from the Marine Corps Handbook, I believe is what it's from. Okay. And it says, uh, even the best plan, uh, laid no, plans. best laid plans only survive till first contact with the enemy. So, like, as soon as someone, you do something, someone's going to react. So now you have to decide, uh, well, let's just go to the quote. According to, as circumstances are favorable, one should modify one's plans. So if you have a favorable situation, you might not have to modify it. But as soon as that changes to someone else's, it being favorable more for someone else, you might want to think about how, to, how you're going to get out of that problem. So being able to adapt is essential. Adapt and survive. Yes. That's very much how you want to be playing your game. Because mm -hmm. your deck is only one variable in, in, in the game set, and then everybody else's deck and their combos and everything else are it, yeah, you, variables that you have no control you over. You have to... Well, you, not that you have no control over it, you just have to be able to control it. You have to have those things in your deck. Yeah. And say, I can handle that if this happens. Okay. Like, I don't like artifacts. Okay, I will run Naturalize. That destroys a target artifact or enchantment. Bam, right there. That's two things that you can handle. But, I mean, and that's why those things like modal spells uh, that just do multiple things or have multiple ways of doing things, like Austere Command. You can choose to destroy all creatures with power three or less. Destroy all creatures with power four or greater. Um, destroy all artifacts and destroy all enchantments, I believe is correct. 
so you have four different answers with one card. That's why it's really great in Commander, because you can only have one copy of a card anyway. Yeah. So you might as well have a card that does the most things at the most time. I think Jared keeps telling me that, and I just keep ignoring it. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> that's okay. You don't have to. But and this is the thing. It's This isn't... Anything I'm talking about is a not... You don't have to do any of this. People don't politic. People don't play the most optimal things. They do what's fun and they what they enjoy, and that's fine. Well, and I think it makes it optimal. Um, yeah, as far as Yeah, as far as, you know, winning. Because you can play those... You can play without it and have fun, but the chances of winning is not... It's well, not at likely. least go down yeah. significantly. Like, but then there's a whole other option of the argument where... The most optimal thing is to run uh, Cyclonic Rift in every blue deck. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people don't because it's not fun. It, it's really not. And then. You have to balance the fun aspect with the win aspect. Right. And then if somebody knows that you have Cyclonic Rift and then we start bargaining and going into the politics, for me, it, it, it slows down the game. It's like we could have been way ahead. We could have already. We could have ended this game and been into another one already. I always and... try to prioritize fun over win. Okay. That's my personal. Well, I appreciate that because that's, that's definitely my my. Uh, now, I mean my, my motto fun. as well. I mean, <laughs> my, fun. my fun. Like sometimes when I win, it's not fun for other people. Right. But I at least want to do something fun in the game, and you know I don't want to actively ruin other people's fun. But it, other people might not find my fun fun. So yeah. there's a lot of fun in that sense. Well, and there's, okay, and so there was um, there was that one that you played that was the the Hugs deck, the group hugs. hug. Yes. Okay, so that had a lot of politics in it just in that what you were playing was very interactive with everybody else's mm-hmm. deck. And it's it was like, like okay, do so. you want cards? Yes. yes. <laughs> and that was fun. That that was a lot of fun. I enjoyed group that. Group hug decks generally are, like, they cause the table to have more fun. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're played truly as group hug, not I group hug and then all of a sudden y'all can't do anything. Right. Like that's just generally true. Like a pure group hug deck, a lot more people will have more fun. It also depends on the players at the table, but that's kind of just almost any game, really. Yeah. For me, I think that some sometimes the politics makes me feel a little sleazy. And this is this is this is this is why. Let me explain. So I remember playing Monopoly one time. Uh-huh. Oh, great. Oh, there's your first mistake. And there were there were out of game benefits to not to not landing on my uh, to not landing or to not not making me pay rent or things like that. It was like you know, hey, I'll take you out for dinner if you don't if oh, you don't like make you're me. Just promising you're like, yes. That's and so, and so it's like it, when, and so when that stuff starts happening, like, hey, I'm not gonna river rebuke you, <laughs> you know, if you if you don't you mess up my, or yeah, or no, it doesn't go that, but it makes me feel that way now because I have that, I guess I have that history now. <laughs> I'm, well, it's always in the back of back my mind. To the first rule: don't sacrifice real world. Don't bring <laughs> real world uh, bargaining into it because then you're gonna feel like, oh, I did this and now I'll I got a cup of coffee. It's yeah, you know, whatever. Cup of coffee, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you don't want to just, just... I lost the game, and I'm game. out five bucks now. That's, yeah. not, that's not cool. Yeah, it's not worth it. <laughs> but uh, we've, we've talked about modifying your plans. This is where Sun Tzu's Art of War becomes a little more political in the EDH setting, not necessarily in what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. He says that all warfare is based on deception. Deception, excuse me. Um, hence, when able to attack, we must seem unable to attack. Uh, when using our forces, 
we must seem inactive. Uh, when we are near, we make them believe we are far away. So this goes to the idea of like, it's the opposite side of the who has an answer argument. So say you're farthest away from the threat, mm-hmm. right? The threat is immediately to your left, so that means you don't have to answer it immediately. And then it priority shifts to the next person in turn order. Say you have, like, they have a permanent on the board that's real threatening, like a Paradox Engine. It's it's a card that whenever you cast a spell, untap all non-land permanents you control. Right? So they have that, and it's about to come down onto the table, and they're at, the person directly to the threat's left says, do you all have anything? And you're like, well, I have a Utter End in my hand, which is Exile Target Non-Land Permanent, or... Target permanent, maybe. Not 100%. It's it's a really good spell. White, black, two, two mana. Just exile, target, non-land, permanent. Let's just call it that. You don't want to say, I have that in my hand. Because if you do, that might make them rethink what they're doing. And also, might still have to answer it, but then now they know you have something, that a very powerful removal spell in your hand. And it can target almost anything. So, you, you just say, I've got nothing. You have it. You really do have it, but you're telling them, you got nothing. Now we're playing poker. Yeah, it's a, it's the poker aspect. You okay. Like, you're bluffing, not having anything. Because if they know you have something and they know exactly what you have, it's more dangerous for you. And you want to be able to say, I have nothing, and if they play something more threatening than the Paradox Engine, you now have an answer for that instead. So... You always want to wait until you have the impetus on something. So what you're saying is before you sit down to a table at Magic, you need to fill out a D&D character sheet and decide if you're lawful good or, or chaotic. I don't know if that, like, no, I, think, I mean... You should already know when you're sitting down to a Magic game, you know you're true neutral. It's neutral is this idea that I need to take care of myself because, I mean, not that I'm the most important one, but, I mean, I'm all that I got. <laughs> like, really... So, so it's important to know when to hold it close to the chest and... When to be like, when if the threat is big enough, say they have Chaos Warp, sure, it puts it at the bottom of the deck, but it gives them something else. It's better to have a for sure answer that says, it's out of the game. So, like, because Utter End Exiles, that's a better answer than Chaos Warp. And instead of giving them something that they might, and then in the end, it's not really gone, it's just in the deck somewhere. Mm-hmm. And then go search for it again. You can search for it or just draw enough to get to get it back. Or I've seen it where we chaos warp something, and they sh- shuffle it in, shuffle, 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 flip. Hey, look, it's the same thing. And you're just like, how? That's why when anybody ever plays chaos warp, I'm like, if it really affects me, I cut the deck. And then I flip the card over. Because not because I don't trust them, really, but I just like choosing, like, essentially, it makes me feel like I'm in more control okay. when I'm not. <laughs> yeah, no, it, I, it's the illusion, though. I understand yeah, that. it's definitely the illusion. I understand that. But if they, then if they've said that they have Chaos Warp, and they've pl- do they do you let them play it on the table, or do you tell them immediately, hey, I've got something better? You could, if you feel unsure, but, like, it's again, goes kind of back to knowing the colors and what their answers for something is. Mm-hmm. Like, if they're a mono-red deck, and they're trying to get rid of uh, an enchantment, and... You think, okay, I know Mono Red does not answer enchantments very well. They go, they're good on artifacts and destroying lands. But destroying or removing artifacts, or no, enchantments, mm-hmm. that's hard for them. Like, one of the better ones that they have is 
chaos warp, you might want to think, what is your answer? Like, do you ha if you have something, what are you like? What are you planning on doing if I have nothing? And you want to do that before they just say, okay, chaos warp. And you like you're like, well, hold up, what, what what's the answer here? And so like, what are you gonna do? And I might have something better, or I might not. I mean, I might not have a good answer here, but you might have a better answer. It's a balance of knowing when to say, what are you thinking about doing, versus just saying nothing and letting them ask. It's best if they just ask, because essentially by saying, hold up, what do you got? You're telling them, I do have an answer. So you don't get to have that bluff anymore. But sometimes it's better just to not have the bluff. It's, all of this is gonna be a balancing act. Yes. Yeah. one of it, those things, it's mental gymnastics, Circumstantial. I mean, whenever, yeah, whenever it happens. Yeah. And the best way to learn how to politic is to, it's essentially just case study. You have to go in and say, okay, what happened in that last game that maybe I could have politicked a little bit better? And it's the same thing when you're reforming the deck mm -hmm. and saying, what do I have trouble answering in this deck currently? And then I go through and say, okay, what are my options to put in that I can answer with? And it's the same thing with politics. You just want to be like, how does this person react to this? How do does this person tend to respond to threats? Just general trial and error. That's what I'm trying to say. Okay. Trial and error. Trial and error. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. So roll into uh, roll into the prince because I'm interested to see see where this goes now. That was that Sun Tzu was interesting. So um, a little background on the prince because Sun Tzu Art of War. You know what we're talking about. It's warfare. It's going to be strategic. But the prince. Most people are like, oh, we don't really know what the prince is. So Niccolo Machiavelli, he was alive in the 1400s and 1500s. So about the time when Columbus is going off to find the Americas, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, he's actually one of the people that suggested the Spanish to help with that. So, you know, he's a, he was a very influential person. He wasn't ever a prince himself. He was a, an advisor to princes and kings and mostly for the, the Prince of Florence. It was a, a city-state in Italy at the time. And he was being asked to help advise Lorenzo de' Medici, who was one of the most powerful men in Italy and probably the Mediterranean at the time. So he wrote down a understanding of experience, a book of just his experiences on how the most ideal prince should work for himself. Not necessarily for everybody, and not necessarily for the people he governed, but if he wanted to be the most effective prince, that's how he should do it. He's literally writing to the Medici about this, and most people see um, Machiavelli as cold and emotionless and amoral. And that's fairly true. He was one of the people that advocated with not letting your emotions run high, because generally that'll get you in trouble. And that's a f very fair point, especially with the princes at that time. There was so much rivalry that the level-headed one was most likely to come out on top. And that's how Lorenzo de' Medici ended up being one of the most powerful people in Italy at that time. He was a very cold person. So, um, One of my favorite quotes from the prince is, It is better to be feared than loved. There was a time when Jared was playing with us, Dr. Thornhill, Robert, and maybe one other person. We were playing like, no, it would have been four player. I only played that deck with four people in the, in the table because if you have like 
allies and enemies, it's going to generally hurt your allies more than it'll help because you're helping their opponents as well. So it feels unfair. So I try to just keep it into four players. So it comes to my turn. I'm playing my group hub deck. And I'm, you know, just helping everybody out, giving everybody card draw lots. And I had, like, triple mana, where everybody's mana was three times what it should be. So I play out a couple things, and it goes to Dr. Thornhill's turn. And Dr. Thornhill gets to have some fun with it. And then Jared is playing his Voltron Commander. And I don't have, I have to wear, have it to where he has to pay, like, some life for one mana, and then, like, three more mana, or... I get a Minotaur, something like that. There's a, uh, it's Kazul, Tyrant of the Cliffs. If they don't pay that mana, I get a token, essentially. So he's like, okay, I'll pay all the mana because you've given me triple mana, and I'm going to attack you for 21 commander damage, Sam. Because I'm being too helpful, and he's not afraid to take me out because he knows, well, he's not going to really do much. If And then I've gained enough advantage to where I can win the game, and I might as well just deny everybody else the advantage of Sam being alive. And so... He loved me. He loved that I was able to let him do that. But because he didn't fear me, he was able to just say, I don't care, I'm going to kill you. And that's exactly what that is about. Yes, I was loved, and everybody loved what I was doing, because I was helping everybody. Mm -hmm. But as soon as I become too useful for everybody else, as opposed to one person, and that one person has a chance to kill me, they will, just like that. Because I'm being too helpful to his opponents at that and so uh, I've built the deck differently since then to where I could protect myself a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But still, I'm giving way too much power to way too many people to where I know I'm going to win very often. I don't win. I won once with it, and it was such a ridiculous game that I used a card called Soldevi Sentry to kill that person. <laughs> and it was stupid. It's like, it shouldn't have happened. <laughs> but it, it did. And that's the only time I've won with that deck. But I play the deck because it's fun, not because it's good. Okay. So, but if Jared was more afraid of me, like with my artifact deck, he doesn't know how I can affect him necessarily or what I have, but he knows I'm still dangerous. And if he messes with me, I can hurt him very badly. It is better to be feared because that gives you more security than you think. Also being feared puts a target on your back to get you out of the game more more quickly. I mean, I guess I can see it both ways. I, I, I can see it that, you know, if you have a powerful deck, if you, if, if you know that you have a powerful deck, then it does give you some advantage in being like, okay, hey, I'm not going to mess with you. You know, don't mess with me. There's that sense there. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's also that sense of everybody else at the table is kind of eyeing each other like, oh, let's get this guy over here, you know? Right. And the thing is, that's, like I said earlier, everything's balancing. Uh, but at some point, you have to win the game. And that's going to turn that fear into hatred. And that's why like a lot of people hate my artifact deck. It's not the first time I've built this deck either. And they know, they're like, oh gosh, he can just go infinite like crazy. And they're like, we got we to gotta kill him. We got to kill him. Or it's like the best example of it is my Rakdos deck, where I would make people lose life. And then I would that would reduce my creature's uh, mana cost, and I had a bunch of colorless creatures, and they're like Eldrazi, and then I get to play things like Kozilek for free, or Ulamog for free, or Emrakul for free, and they're just like, we can't let that happen. That's just, that's ridiculous. Uh, and so they, they try, they hate when you do that stuff, so they just try and kill you. Gotcha. And like, 
it was so funny how often it was like, I'm about to win, and then Dr. Thornhill kills me. And, he, I, and I tell him that, and he's just like, every time. Every time. I'll do it every time. Because <laughs> he knows. He just can't let me do that. So. But so the, the next, uh, which we've already kind of discussed what the difference is, uh, princes must avoid making themselves hated and despised. The goodwill of the people is a better defense than any fortress. Now, there's a difference between goodwill and loving. Goodwill is saying, I have an answer to something, but I don't have to use that answer on you. I could use it on other things. It's like, we can be friends. Like, you'll see, hear me say every now and then, Carlos, are we friends? And, you're, and you'll be like, <laughs> you don't know how to answer it. Yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? No, I know what it means most of the time. It's like, I can, I can do something, and I can mess with what you're doing, but I'd rather not. And so we can be friends. Like, I've instilled, there's a fear there, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily, I'm going to screw you over. Right. So that's the difference. There's the balance there. Okay. The next one, and this is where amorality of Machiavelli comes in, is it's better to be cruel than merciful. So you're thinking what do you mean by cruel, right? Yeah. Like, I don't mean, okay, I'm just going to destroy this because I can. That's that's not cruelty. That's... Impulsiveness. Insanity, impulsiveness, yeah. essentially. It's a form of, like, like if, if there was a ruler, and they decided, like, he's a, he's a despot, and he says, I want that guy executed. What did he do? Nothing. I just don't like his face. Yeah, that's... That would be insane. Mm-hmm. Like, we everybody would know, that guy's insane. And that's the same for EDH politics. It's like, I just destroy this because I can. That's a little bit insane. It's like, there's you might have something later on that you can use that answer for. And you just wasted that on something because you could. Because you personally didn't like that card. Uh, it's not optimal. It's not a good way to win the game. But people do it. And now I'm going to turn the thing with Jared on its head. I'm playing a group hug deck. Everybody loves me. And, I'm, and you're Jared, right? And you see you've gained as much advantage as you possibly need to win the game now. And you see that if you let this advantage accrue, it doesn't affect you. But it affects everybody else at the table. Like, you should kill the Groupon player if you're Jared. It's the right thing to do for you to win. And so it's cruel. It's not the nicest way to play the game. But if you want to win, it's the best way to do it. Because otherwise, everybody's going to get more advantage out of it than you will. Like, yes, he could have been merciful and just let me continue to play the game. But for him to win, he needed to kill me. I don't hate that Jared did it. I understand why he did it. I didn't like it at the time when we were in the game, but I understand. So there are times when you say, I need to just take someone out. They might be bargaining for their life and pleading and saying, don't kill me. I'm not going to mess with you. But you know, you need to kill them. That's why, like, when Dr. Thornhill's like, I'll plead with Dr. Thornhill. And then after he kills me, I'll be like, yeah, I was about to win. And he knows. He's like, sometimes it's just better to take someone out. Yeah. And so And that makes sense. That's true. I mean, you gotta know when the opportunity when the opportunity knocks and, and you don't want to let it pass because if you do, then it's too late and you've yeah. you've shot yourself in the foot at that point. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So this is one it's a, a case study fairly recent in our playgroup about this. Mm-hmm. So it is better to break promises if keeping them would be against one's interest. 
I know exactly what we're talking about because yes. I actually wanted to end the podcast on this on this and debate that's where here. I'm so. At. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> okay. Let's set up that case. Uh, okay, so I'm playing a, a pillow fort type deck, where I make it to where people can't kill me, just very easily. And so I have a card called Glacial Chasm, which says all damage that would be dealt to you is reduced to zero, and it has a cumulative upkeep of two life. That means at the beginning of your upkeep, you put a counter on the card, and then for each age counter, you pay the cost of the cumulative upkeep, which this one says you have to pay two life. Otherwise, you have to sacrifice the card. You may choose not to pay the upkeep. So every turn, I have to lose two life, or, well, I have to lose life equal to the number, two life equal to the number of cards. So if there's three counters on it, I have to use lose three or six life okay but i have a thing that allows me to sacrifice my lands and then play lands from my graveyard and so i don't ever really have to pay that cost of life and i can just keep doing that and just stay alive as long as no one's making me lose life or uh causes me to lose the game so uh that's what i was doing with that deck and so everybody essentially at this point everybody hated me so i broke one of the rules but I thought I could win at that point, so it didn't matter if they hated me. Dr. Thornhill's like, I got nothing. I, I'm just trying to make people draw a card and deal damage to them, which didn't kill me. And then Jared's playing his Voltron deck. He's like, I deal damage to people to kill them. I literally can't win this unless I get rid of that land. And so Robert is playing Sig, and it's a, he's got a bunch of fairies that attack, and but they can't deal damage. So to me, he can kill other people but he can't kill me. And so they're all trying to work together, and this is what we call making yourself the arch enemy, mm-hmm. where three people are trying to figure out how to take out one person. And it's a very, it's, it's actually doesn't happen that often, but it happens to me a lot more than it does <laughs> on av- your, to your average player. And so Jared finally finds an answer. He can destroy my land. And he says to everybody at the table, I can kill Sam. And... If, you do, if I do that, y'all can't attack me for one turn. And so um, he says that, and everybody's like, sure, okay, we'll do that. He does it, kills me, I'm out of the game. And then he passes the turn on, uh, to Robert, who's like, okay, I play Cyclonic Rift. And Robert didn't look at Jared's commander, and it has a, an aura on it that says, take exile the commander and all everything attached to him, and then return it at the beginning of the next end step. So that means Cyclonic Rift doesn't affect Jared at all. And so he says... Wait, just his commander or his entire board? Oh, his commander and all the auras attached to it Okay. go out, which that's how he wins the game, all the auras. He doesn't care if a couple enchantments that aren't auras bounce or his creature, other creatures. That doesn't matter. As long as his commander is still intact with all those auras... He'll kill Robert on next turn. Okay. And so um, Robert says, all right, I have 14 fairies, and Jared's at 12 life. But I said I wouldn't attack him. And Robert attacks him anyway. The thing about that is, so Robert broke his promise. (laughs) And the thing about it is, Jared put him in a situation that if he didn't break his promise, he was going to die. He was going to lose the game. So what should have happened in that situation? Robert probably should have looked at the board a little bit to see if there was a way to get around it. 
Okay. Could he have said, I have a cyclonic rift and I'm going and I won't attack you with these fairies if you don't attack me on the next round? He could, could have, that have to do Could that, that have taken um, place? I don't think Jared would take that offer. I mean, because exactly. And so knowing that, I mean, what do you think happened? Was well, it... I, Later on in my mind, I kind of just like okay, how what's the what's the how does Robert keep his promise without, um, or without dying? Right, right, without losing the game. Without losing the game. Because that's I mean, when you're playing, that's what that's essentially what you want to do, right? You're you're, you're trying to, to win the game. Essentially, he could have cast Cyclonic Rift at the end of Doctor Thornhill's turn, and um, that would have and even if Jared had forced or had bounced his commander. Mm-hmm. Um, it wouldn't have come back until the next end step. That keeps Jared's commander out and allows him, uh, Robert, after the turn, to kill Jared on his next turn. Okay. And that doesn't break any promises. Yeah. It's, so, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's a way around it. And you have to be really good at the game and know... You, I mean, like, that's... Ha- it, it's like, and it took me three weeks to figure that out. <laughs> right, and in that moment, like, in I mean, moment, I don't blame Robert he's going through every that. yeah, he's going through the scenarios. And I also don't blame Robert for actually just killing Jared and trying to win the game there. Yeah, I understand. I understand. Well, so so I mean, in the end, the, what it comes down to is that politics are either going to win you the game or they're going to cost you the game, yeah. more and or less. Again, to kind of wrap it all back, don't lose real life friendships for a game. <laughs> So, remember everybody, it's just a game. Thanks for listening.